Police responded to a 911 call. Dramatic video of gun insanity in the Bronx. Police releasing a new video of a person that they are still trying to track down. Defund the police is not the answer. Many people surveyed said they just don't feel safe in the city. It's a shooting outside of a store. This is Bo Deedles. True crime. Police this morning are searching for the person who turned this Harlem platform to a crime scene. A Red Apple Media Podcast Network production. Now, here's Bo Deedle. Hi, everybody. It's Bo Deedle and Bo Deedle's True Crime Stories. Well, this one today, I got a really, really interesting one because it started a long time ago. And with the advent of our uh, new scientific DNA, we've been able to find and prove a lot more murders that this serial killer did. Now, I remember being a New York detective in, I think it was, oh, in the 1980s, maybe 1980, and I remember picking up the New York Post with two headless girls' heads taken off in Times Square Hotel. And basically, you know, just to me, during 1980, it was just another story. But it was a little different because, you know, it was the gruesomeness of it came out. And then it, this is all about this guy he got named the Torso Killer. His name was Richard Cunningham. Now, what happens with this case, there was a lot of murders that he was involved in, but then subsequently, the the real dogness, that's the way I got to call it, of somebody who's sitting next to me really prevailed in developing more murders that were able to be closed that this guy committed, including one that was only announced a few months ago in Nassau County. And who my guest today I'm very honored to have here, and his name is Robert Anzalotti. And Robert is the former chief of the Bergen County Police Department who took this case on and they, all the cold cases and it became his dealing as far as his obsession in, in, in developing more and more information from this guy. We got to remember this murder first, well, he was charged in a 1968 murder of Diane Kusick, and this is only part of it. So I want to welcome Robert here today. And Robert, you're one tough investigator. So why don't we give an overview of it and let's let's talk about exactly how you got involved, a little bit about this guy and all that. Okay. Yeah. Hey Bo, thanks for having me, man. It's an honor to be here with you. Okay. Appreciate it, my friend. Yeah. So Richard Cottingham was a real bad dude back in the day. You were certainly a cop, I think, when he was first apprehended. I was I was a, a kid, you know, I wasn't some of the, the crimes that we have since attributed him to, I wasn't even born yet when he committed them. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of it is kind of interesting. But in, as you mentioned, 19, it was December of 79, uh, the torso killing here in Times Square. Cottingham basically had two prostitutes, one identified as Adita Godorzi. The other one has never been identified. She's just a Jane Doe. Brings them into a hotel room. Ultimately, after raping and killing them, he beheads them, cuts their hands off, and lights the room on fire. That was like, so no words... That back then, we mostly had fingerprints. We didn't have the DNA as conclusive as today. But that was the first case that brought attention to Richard Cottingham, correct? That's correct. So at the time, hey, listen, NYPD was doing a great job, but now they got no heads and no hands to work with. They did a great job even identifying the one victim. It goes unsolved until the middle of 1980. That's when Richard Cottingham so is actually tied to it. the murder was occurred in 1979. And go ahead. So in May of 1980... Cottingham is arrested at the Quality Inn in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, in Bergen County, after a woman screams in the hotel room. 
Now, the hotel staff at this particular place. Now, people have to understand, wherever the murders occur, that's where the, the case develop, is developed. Because as far as it goes, if the murders occurred, there's a case now in New York on a double homicide. Now we're going into something that happens in New Jersey. So in reality, there's two, two separate investigations. Go ahead. Totally. So now hotel staff are already on edge because several weeks earlier, a woman was found dead, strangled, and stuffed under the bed in another room in the same hotel. In New Jersey. In New Jersey. A year earlier, a young woman, uh, a, a housewife, is found strangled and raped and bound at the feet and hands in the parking lot of the same hotel. And what year is uh, Around the same time? Yes, yeah, late 78, I believe, early 79. So okay. the cops in Jersey are on edge about all these killings that they're that they're seeing. And when this lady screams in the hotel room, hotel staff calls the cops, local cops come. They end up arresting Richard Cottingham they as he flees him. the scene. They nail they him nail right him. there, right at the scene. Not knowing that he did anything else except this one. 100%. So the woman is still alive, but she's found, she's handcuffed. And he tried to rape her, bit her breasts, tortured her a little bit. So she ends up living. Now, was he leaving during these rapings? Was he leaving any semen? Was he leaving any of his DNA there? No. So not. Uh, not on any of these cases, right? But he was leaving bite marks. He liked to torture his victims. He'd, he'd rape them, tie them up, strangle them, bite their breasts, burn them. He's just a real sadistic killer. So when do they put together that there was a series of murders that were tied together? So the cops in Bergen County end up executing a search warrant on his house after he's arrested at this hotel. Mm -hmm. Also, on his person when he's arrested, he's got a little attache case. In the case, there's a knife. They find, like, handcuffs, some pills like barbiturates, some some uh, some pills like that he would, it turns out he would actually drug some of his victims. So when they hit his house, they find a, a kind of a secret room in the house that's got a safe. And when they get in the safe, they find women's jewelry. And it turns out they end up tying this jewelry to the victims here in New York mm -hmm. uh, and a third victim that was stabbed to death at the Hotel Seville in early 1980. So he's tied to three bodies over here in New York. And he's tied to multiple uh, homicides in Jersey, as well as a number of rapes and attempted homicides. Women who he drugged, raped, attempted to kill, dump, dumped on the side of the road, left for dead, but they survived. So, so basically, we have two in, independent investigations on the various murders. Obviously, the two that he cut the heads off in New York. And then now you have all these sequence of murder. Now, where did he come from? Where did he live, Richard? He lived in Bergen County. Bergen County. And then when he up, they did the search warrant, what happened if they do the search warrant? So, you know, just like all good detective work, right? So they start communicating, obviously, with other jurisdictions, in particular New York City, when, when, they, uh, when they start showing some survivors as well as some family members of, of the deceased. When did they put it together and that New York was possibly the same person? Relatively quickly, within the first several weeks of the investigation, they quickly tie him to the, these other incidents in New Jersey, and then the New York detectives catch wind of it, and now they get they want to know, they get interested in them, and they end up helping tie now, the, the cases over here. Now, do they arrest him on these murders, the two murders, uh, murders quickly? They do. So he, he yeah. never gets out of jail from the, oh. min, the day he's arrested. You know, listen, as you like to talk about on your podcast, unlike today, there was actual bail and murderers were actually kept in jail back yeah. then. So he never got out. Oh, so he's in jail, locked in jail, and the New York detectives are able to obtain enough evidence to put him in with these other two murders. Go ahead. That's correct. 
so that's really the kind of the backstory to that. So it turns out they they work it backwards and they trace that he was on a real tear from like late 77 all the way through his arrest of 1980. There was one in 1968. So that's now in modern times, which I... I be happy to get into with no, you. No, let's 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 keep things in, 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 in together in a chronological order. So now the New York detectives get him for the cutting the heads off the girls murdering them. You got about three or four over in Bergen County. He's in jail. Now, does the investigation continue by the detectives then? And how many well, that'll be my end question about how many murders. But when do you actually get involved? When do you go on when you look at this guy? When do you get involved? Because I think, Robin, part of what you've done in your involvement is very important because now with the advent of all this new DNA shit, we are able to get more conclusive uh, evidence and be able to tie him to more cases. Go ahead. So uh, obviously the cops kept at him. Uh, he took every case to trial, including here in New York and the ones in New Jersey. Wouldn't confess, wouldn't cooperate. Lost them all. He, he lost every trial. Obviously, he's convicted. DAs did a great job. Cops did a great job. And he's given multiple life sentences for the murders of these women. Hmm. So he's in prison. Fast forward, I get on the job in 1992. I'm in patrol for a while in, in Bergen County. In 96, I, I transfer over to the Bergen County DA's office, Bergen County Prosecutor's Office. Mm -hmm. In 2000, I get transferred to the Homicide Squad. And as a young detective, I ended up getting assigned a series of unsolved homicides that occurred in Bergen County, 12 or 13 unsolved These killings, are cold cases, cold cases uh, killings of young females. Possibly prostitution or very different. So it turns out he, he kind of changed his M.O. over the years. What we now know is he started killing way earlier than anybody ever suspected. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, he was killing housewives. He was killing young teenage girls. That and he'd these pick were up unsolved off the street, murders. All unsolved. Mm -hmm. So I actually got assigned them uh, to, to try and tie them to another serial rapist that uh, was getting out of prison. He'd maxed out on parole. And uh, the, the, the prosecutor was trying to find a way to keep him in. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me first look at these cases. Uh, relatively quickly, I ruled this serial rapist out for a number of them. Uh, not all of them, but a number of them. So in other words, they would direct themselves on the wrong guy. Correct. So. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Around 2002, 2003, I'm really getting involved in cold case work. And I had uh, occasion to develop a relationship with Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. Yeah. All right. So part of the crew from my DeMeo crew over there in Brooklyn, the one that would cut up the bodies, drain them, and all that, Roy DeMeo. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, Kuklinski would talk to me about that. So I end up uh, getting a couple confessions out of Kuklinski, tying him to a few unsolved murders. So you used to go to the prison to talk to these guys. Correct. So this interests you because you knew there was more there than what was known. Exactly. So, so eventually- got kind of like- like a real high over it, uh, Robert. Yeah, actually, you know what? The cold, this cold case shit really became a, a just a passion. I just uh, yeah. and we didn't even have a cold case unit. I just kind of did this stuff on the side. 
Yeah. Now we actually have a full full fledged cold case unit, but we didn't back then. So you get involved, you, you interview Karinka, the the what was the this? Iceman, uh, right? Iceman. Yeah. And now when do you go see Dickhead Cunningham first? So it turns out now I start turning my attention to Cottingham as maybe not Did sure. Did he know we? Did they know each other? So just by pure coincidence, the, wow. the two serial killers are housed at the same prison get on out the same wing. Wow. So the Iceman, I, I ask him, do you know this guy Cottingham? Because by now I've interviewed the Iceman for hundreds of hours. It turns out in his own wacky. What? What? Why would he want to talk to you, the Iceman? Were you bringing him fucking chocolate? Oh, excuse me, I can't curse. Were you bringing him chocolate? <laughs> uh, we would. Uh, I'd get. A, I'd take him out of the prison to interview him and and you know feed him a nice meal once in a while. And uh, he got off on. It uh, was. If you if you ever saw any clips of the Iceman, he 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 actually liked to boast about his killings. He okay. just he was very selective who he would talk to. That's all. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a common denominator with him. I actually went to high school with his son. Wow. And was friendly with his son. So when I first started writing him to say, hey, I want to come talk to you, I referenced the fact that I had been in high school with his son, Dwayne, and was like, hey, you know, Dwayne will vouch that I'm a decent guy. Okay. So that, w- that was the end with him. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the Iceman. The Iceman, though, uh, turns out, didn't like Cottingham. Uh, felt like he was a disgusting human being who kills women. Now, here's, th- here's one serial killer, and in his own code, he's disgusted by this other serial killer. So he he gave me some dirt on Cottingham. Now, Cottingham was doing some illegal stuff in the prison. And um, I used it to eventually get Cottingham in trouble and, and just start messing with him. Uh, and then in the year 2004, uh, I had him thrown in the hole for violating prison policies. I let him rot there for a couple of days. Back then, the prisons had the hole, right? You know what I'm yeah. talking about? They, That's solitary solitary confinement. Solitary yeah. confinement. And um, stepped to him after a few days in there. He comes out. He's all sweaty. His eyes are bloodshot and bulging did he know you were the culprit so i certainly explained to him i was the culprit okay and that was the start of a uh, nearly two decade long relationship with uh, richard wow. cottingham two decades you talked to this freaking murdered piece of God. so this was in 2004 i started and i talked to him up until the day i walked out of out of uh out of law enforcement when i retired last year in 2021 so let's lead us up to things that he talked about and what what other developments and other cases were broke out of this out of this relationship so uh on ford you referenced nassau county getting a dna hit uh, unfortunately none of my cases i was lucky enough to have dna despite always submitting the stuff to the lab and trying our best wasn't that lucky but um after six years so now i'm talking to him for six friggin' years on and off you know and remember, I'm still a cop full time doing other full full time cop stuff, detective stuff, homicides yeah. coming in. By then, I was already a sergeant. I was a line level supervisor running things. And this guy's just like a hobby for me at this point. But I became convinced over the years that he's responsible for at least some of these unsolved girl homicides, these female homicides. So I kept at it. And finally, in uh, 2010 is the first time that he actually confessed to one of the unsolved killings. And that was the October 1967 rape and murder of uh, Nancy Vogel. She was a 29-year-old mother of two, lovely, lovely lady. In Jersey? In Jersey, in Bergen County. She was reported missing on October 27th. Her body was found on uh, October 30th, I believe. She was naked. She was tied up. Her hands were tied up, and uh, she had been beaten, raped, and strangled. Okay, was there any kind of a rape kit done on her at that time? There, there was. She was killed? Yes, there so was. they had DNA on that? No, 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 no viable DNA. Now, listen, let's go back to 1967, how they collected it, how they stored yeah. it. Everything was different back then. They didn't know 
decades later, there'd be this thing called DNA. So what, what made you believe that he actually did it other than him telling you? So obviously you were a, a phenomenal detective, right? You, you, wanted, you want the killer to tell us something that the public wouldn't know, the killer to tell us some details yep. that, that nobody else would know but exactly. the killer. And when he finally confessed, he gave tremendous amount of detail, some of which I had to leave the damn interview room and go get the file and be like, so for instance, he told me he took, he ended up leaving her in her own car, but he drove the car, told me he took the keys out of the car and tossed them in the river mm -hmm. when he walked back to where his own car was parked. I had never looked at that piece of information, like who were the keys so you found? Read, you read all the old DD. Yes. So now I'm going through all the reports and the crime scene photos, and I want to know is uh, where the car where the car keys found with the car. Yeah. Sure enough, no car keys ever found. So there's a little tidbit. He also knew exactly. He said when I opened the trunk, there were grocery bags in the trunk. Look at the photos from the crime scene. Sure enough, there were two grocery brown grocery so bags. So all these little pieces verify the fact that he had information that only the police had. Correct. He told us exact, the exact method he killed her and what he did exactly where I actually put him in the back of my detective car, drove him around, and all these you years able, later... You were able to get him out of jail? Yes. By then, I was taking him out of prison and bringing him up to the prosecutor's office to talk. But you had to watch him. Uh, come on, Robert. You didn't let him out on his own, though. No, definitely okay. not. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, so I, he actually showed me the exact street where he left the car with the body in it, and it all those years and later. And it lined up. Lined up exactly, exactly where it was. So okay. there's no doubt. He's also a guy that wants, wants to be under the radar, right? So he's not somebody, at this point, this is the very first time he's even signed a Miranda form, let mm -hmm. alone talk to the cops. So he's not like one of these guys that just wants to get a, you know, a piece of pizza and he'll tell you anything. Mm. All right, so that case, now, did they indict him on that and uh, arrest him on that murder then? Correct. That was, he pled to the indictment, uh, or he actually pled to the accusation. We didn't even have to go to the grand jury, and he pled guilty. That's and it. Next, he, next one. He received a life, another life sentence for that. So as we keep going through the years, that's in 2010. He got a little pissed off at me because he didn't like his experience in the courtroom. So, he wanted to stay in jail and just give you what you want, but don't leave, don't 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 bring me back in the court. He he liked riding around in the car. He had to like get breathing in the air. When you had him driving around the car, did you have him cuffed? Of course, yeah. yes. And you know what? He he would enjoy even the prison that he was staying in or where he was housed was about an hour and a half from where my headquarters was. Just to was. get out, just yeah. to get out. So just to drive. You didn't back. take him to any of my good Italian restaurants, Robert. I hope not. I would never soil one of your good places okay, like that. Okay, good. All right, so so that's one. Now, what's the next one happens? So that's in 2010. We're on again, off again. He'd get pissed off at me. We'd write each other back and forth, but I kept at it. Eventually, in 2014. Again, you got to realize this is over the course of interviewing him for dozens and dozens of hours over mm -hmm. a period of time. He ultimately confesses to the rape and killing of 18-year-old Irene Blaze, in, which occurred in April of 1969. In Jersey? In Jersey, in Bergen County. He picked her up. Uh, How did he remember these things? He actually has a very good memory, and I'm, uh, I'll give you one on this one. He, he, when he first told me about this, he said he remembers this particular victim because... Of course, in prison, they, they're they allowed to watch TV and do yeah. whatever. There was a show on at the time that I had never even heard of called Roswell. And there was a particular actress on the show that reminded him of this victim. Uh -huh. And sure enough, he gave me the actress's name and I, I Googled her, I looked her up and yeah. spitting image, strikingly similar to the victim. 
So he said this was one that he would play back in his memory and remembered it well. So he ultimately confessed to stalking her while she was at this main, on this main street in Hackensack, uh, looking shopping in the windows, like window shopping, mm-hmm. followed her to the bus stop where she was waiting to, to get on a bus and, and talked her into letting him give her a ride, basically, almost like a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. And then he ultimately raped and killed her in the car and dumped her body in a river in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. And what evidence did you have to corroborate what he was telling you? A number of things. A, a little a little tidbit was that, that really worked. So there was a witness at the bus stop that saw her get in the car, description similar to the car he used to drive at the time. But the witness actually said this little detail of the, the guy, while he was trying to talk her into getting in the car, was pulling on his ear, like a, like almost like a little little habit. Yeah. And sure enough, when Cottingham is nervous, he would, even when I was talking to him, he'd pull pull on his ear. ear. Little tidbit like that. He uh, also gave a very, very detailed description of exactly how she was killed and where he dumped her. And it was, you know, identical to what happened to her. No DNA on that one either. No, no. Now, unfortunately, she was in the river. So you know what water does, right? So... Unfortunately, that didn't work out for any any nothing, DNA. And they didn't uh, do nothing with the search of the car, any hair, uh, anything in the car. He, the car's long gone. So this is now. I'm getting this confession in 2014. The case happened in 1969. Yeah. So yeah, he so he wasn't caught at that gone. time. Yeah. Long gone. So then we get him arrested on that one. So the deal on that one was just an exceptional clearance. He didn't like his experience in court. The first time, so my deal was as long as the the confessions were credible, we would mm. sit the the victim's family down. We'd let them know exactly what we found out, and then ask ask them to just keep it quiet as we tried to pursue other wow. cold cases. Next one. So I long believed that whoever killed Irene Blaze also killed 15-year-old Denise Velasca. Denise Velasca was a beautiful young girl, 15 years old. She was last seen walking down a street in uh, Emerson, in New Jersey. Her body was found only a few months after Irene Blaze and within a half a mile of where Irene Blaze was was dumped. Mm-hmm. And what, so, what circumstances in that case? So Denise Velasca was also strangled, ligature strangulation, and raped. And she was beaten in the face. So and what year is this now? This is also still in 1969. He's in the late 60s. Go ahead. Yeah. So always believed it was the same killer. So after he confessed Irene Irene Blaze in 2014... I kept interviewing Cottingham periodically, trying to see if I could tie him to this Denise Velasca one. He finally uh, caved in 2017 and gave me a detailed confession that, that he was, in fact, the one that killed 15-year-old Denise Velasca. What, what made him remember that again? He wasn't as graphic in his description as he was in some of his other confessions. And, and admittedly, he would say, you know, he has raped and done so many of these that sometimes he doesn't remember the, the particulars. Or they just melt into each other. Yeah. Right, so uh, and uh, listen, you know the deal, too. Like every criminal, he's got a selective memory. So too. that's 17. Go ahead. What's the next one? Another one, a couple months later in 2017, randomly talking to him about trying to get another case out of him. And he told me, I remember this one girl very vividly. I didn't mean to kill her. I was just going to rape her. But she screamed, and someone turned a light on in a house nearby, and I got nervous and put my hand over her mouth and nose and smothered her just to shut her up. And he said, I remember her because I nicknamed her in my head, Helmet Head, because she had a very boyish haircut, that bowl. Remember back in the yeah, day, the, the bowl, bowl haircut? Yeah. So I always kept a newspaper in my office. A newspaper article in the local newspaper from many years ago ran all these girls' pictures and, and the fact that these were unsolved cases in Bergen County. Gotcha. 
So I keep it in my office. So I decide to go up to my office and grab the paper and I throw it in front of him. I say, do any of these people look like mm. Helmet Head? And he picked her out. And it was little 13-year-old Jacqueline Harp, Jackie Harp. Beautiful little 13-year-old girl was walking home from band practice. Had, you know, a parade belt holder, like you're, when, you're in the, when you're in the marching yeah. band. Yeah. He actually remembered that he was sitting at a Stewart's hamburger shop. If you remember Stewart's yeah, root beer Stewart, and all that. Yeah. I didn't even know the place yeah, existed. I had no idea it even existed in this town. So remember, this killing happened in 1968. Mm-hmm. So again, it's another one before I was even born. So I, you know, I know these cases now intimately because I've reviewed them so many times. Oh. But he said he was sitting there just having, uh, just having a root beer or whatever he's doing. It's about eight o'clock at night, and he sees her walk by, and he decides he wants to to rape her in an alleyway. Yeah. So he drags her into an alley, and uh, he said she screamed. It was dark out at the time. She screams, and the light goes on, and he described the, the exact exactly the wall he was next to and where the light came from and in great detail but no other no other contributing evidence at all. nope no unfortunately there's she that was now 2017 what yeah. the next one so we cooled off a little bit after that i became the chief of detectives in in 2016 so i you know i had a nice slow and steady ascent in the ranks working a lot of different cases yeah much, so yeah. i don't want to mislead anybody right i'm not i'm not this ain't a full-time endeavor yeah. for me you know this is i can only spend so much time with this guy mm-hmm. uh, I get, i'm getting more and more responsibilities to run the office and so i become chief of detectives and but i wanted to keep this relationship going for one big reason in the 1974 two bodies are found of a 16-year-old and 17-year-old girls, two beautiful teenage girls from North Bergen, New Jersey. They were found face down in a wooded area. Their hands are tied behind their backs, rope around their neck, both naked, literally placed next to one another. That case I investigated for years. A lot of different suspects. This was a cold case from 74. Yeah, a lot of different suspects flew all over the country interviewing people over the years. And over all this time that I'm talking to Cottingham, it becomes evident to me that he did it. Wow. But he just kept insisting that there was one case he would never talk to me about because it was too famous. And there's no way you're going to be able to keep it quiet if I confess to this. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward to um, getting, I make the decision to retire, right? And uh, time to move on, do other things, try and be a success like Bo Deedle in the next life, right? And I came up with an idea that I was going to use my retirement as a way to try and get him to talk again Mm -hmm. about this case. You got to understand by now we're together so long, he's got this weird father son attachment to me. Mm -hmm. When I became the chief, he actually was proud. You know, I, I brought him up. Like like he got you promoted. Exactly. So I bring him, I have the guys go down by now I'm the chief, right? I send people to go pick him up at the prison, bring him up and they, they bring him up and we sit and we're talking for a while. And I tell him, I'm leaving in six weeks. I had decided when my date was. I'm leaving soon. He tries to talk me out of retiring. Gives me a whole speech. Robert, you don't understand. It's so, there's very few people in the world that are, love what they do and are actually good at it. And he's like, you love it. You love what you do. You're running the so place. So he was your big supporter. Yeah. So he's trying to, you know, you got to sit there with a straight face, right? Yeah. You know how many yeah. confessions you take in yeah. your day. You yeah. got to sit there with a straight face like I like you. Uh, yeah. So... We go back and forth, but ultimately he agrees. He agrees to to give me a detailed confession. And he always told me that this particular case, he remembered every detail because he was embarrassed by it. And what was the, uh, what was other pieces of evidence again, other than him telling you? So in this particular case, he knew 
minute detail. He held these girls in a motel room for three days, three days, and repeatedly raped and tortured them. When he would go to sleep at night, he hogtied them. Now, did you check the motel that he said that they were in to see who rented that room? So that motel is now gone. Oh, so okay. he described it well enough, yeah. and I had to go to some old timers to say, hey, this description, yeah. do we know where this place is? Right off the turn, the Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. His description of the events that what happened were very, very descriptive and telling. One of the things, uh, he actually knew the medical examiner missed something in the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And I conferred with the, the current medical examiner and said, is this possible? And, here, and here's what he told me. He drowned both the victims in the bathtub, the motel. And the medical examiner found that they had water in their lungs. Not water, congestion. And here's why they didn't pick up on the drowning part of it is it's, this was in August of 1974. He dumped them in the woods and their bodies weren't found for a number of days. Mm-hmm. And that water evaporated and and became just like almost like a pneumonia in their lungs is what gotcha, the, the gotcha. ME described. So he was, now, I would have never known that, right? So he, he was arrested for those two murders then. And did he that? Yep. And that yeah. one, I insisted we go to court on, even though he, he doesn't like doing that. I and when was this? Uh, he went to court in April of 2021, 2021. OK, he pled guilty and he was actually just sentenced uh, last month to two more con- life sentences for those murders. Okay, and that was it. That brings us to Diane Cusack. Now, Diane Cusack. That's the next one now, Yes, correct. So Diane Cusack is a Nassau County case that that I had nothing to do with. Yeah. Nassau County, phenomenal job, ends up getting a DNA hit Mm -hmm. on this 1968 murder of Diane Cusick, who was, I believe, a single mother who had gone to the shopping mall. Yeah. And meets this savage somehow, encounters him somehow, and she's found, uh, much like Nancy Vogel, she's found in her own car, you know, naked, beaten, and In Nassau County. In Nassau County, Long Island. In 1967, 68? 1968. So they do the DNA hit. They get a DNA hit. They indict him on it. And Cottingham has pled not guilty. Now, even though I'm retired, I still talk to him. I've gone down to interview him. Did you interview him on this one? No. But here's what I I, I have been doing with him is trying to encourage him that if he did it, to accept the responsibility. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see him change his plea to guilty and give his family So you're still working on this one to see if you could go back there. Now, Robert, this is unbelievable. So how many murders do you calculate? Well, the ones that you've developed, but how many do you think there's even more, Robert? I think there's definitely more. Look at this Nassau County DNA hit, right? That's just one. Yeah, that, that just so popped up. Yeah. If, if you give this guy, let's, so I have him confessing to murders as early as 1967. He's not arrested until 1980. Hmm. That's a lot of years to be yeah. out there and raping that was and killing. It seemed as though he had the uh, prime time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So well, how many murders are we talking about we got so far? So far, we're up to what he was convicted of in uh, in 1980 mm-hmm. and the new confessions. And now this Nassau County DNA hit, we're up to, I believe, 12 or 13. Wow. A real serial killer. Now, and there's a lot more, Bo. There's know, definitely a lot more. I mean, do you, ever, do you ever feel in your head that now he's at a point where anything you ask him, he's going to go along with and make up in his mind? So that's why you have to always get attributing factors that he doesn't know because that's the most important thing. I mean, his testimony is his testimony. Did you ever put him on a box, a polygraph? No. Did no. you ever? But, but that really wouldn't work because I've interviewed guys that done mass murders and they passed the fuck, they passed the polygraph. Right. And I, I mean, I had all physical, everything. Uh, yeah. Ever, 
the polygraph's a great yeah, tool, to tool like an interview tool. Yeah. But uh, Wow, Robert, yeah. you're really a, a great homicide investigator. Man, are you, are you thinking of continuing to do this now that you're out? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I can't go. He's now been moved to a prison that's probably three hours from where I live. But I drove down a couple times to go sit Which and speak one with is him. He in? He's in Southwood State Prison now. It's all the way down in Cumberland County. Uh, all the way to south, south end of New Jersey. That's near Southampton and all that in the Pines? It's down that way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's, um, but I, I don't mind. I take the ride down with one of the uh, cold case guys. Well, you know, and, you know the, only, the only thing is that right now, I'm going to talk to your governor over there. They should have like a special financing for you to continue <laughs> on the cold cases. I'll take it. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean the, the, the technique that you had with him, the relationship, you can't just buy that. That's something that you developed over a period of time. And this, this is really very, very interesting in all these cases coming about. Somebody killed these people. Like even in Brooklyn with this uh, detective there from Brooklyn who I, I had retired already. I didn't know him. And then every one of his homicide cases now are being reversed. I mean, somebody's killing oh, these. wow. Yeah, somebody's killing these people. Everybody's innocent. Now there's new innocent project so it's funny you know yourself being a uh, you know yourself being a detective now as a, a investigator you could be a defense detective or you could be a prosecuting detective one is if you're a defense uh, detective you'll say you really don't remember what color that guy's jacket was do you that's defense then as a prosecutor he had a yellow jacket on right so, I mean, you can ask the same question, you get two different answers. And that's one of the techniques of being a good detective and understand that. But, I mean, uh, Robert, you did a phenomenal job, and I'm very honored you're on our show. And we look forward to more cases being developed, and uh, we'll have you back on another time. Maybe we can bring some more cases to uh, fruition. And all I got to say is you did a great job, and you're one tough detective, man. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Thank Come, you, Robert. Coming from you, that means the world. Thank you, Robert. And again, everybody, I'm glad this was a really interesting one. Hey, we had the Zodiac murder. We had it. We had them all. And uh, this is truly, really a enlightened thing as far as these cases, the dead people that were murdered. Put it this way. When you got guys like Robert after your asses, you'll never be safe. And thank you for tuning in to One Tough Podcast. Not podcast, one tough true crime story with Bo Deedle. Thank you.